the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. We have in studio with us today the producer of Lifeline, Wanda Sanchez, along with her co-author, Shelley Beach. The book is called Love Letters from the Edge, Meditations for Those Struggling with Brokenness, Trauma, and the Pain of Life. You were mentioning, Shelley, before the break about the importance of taking time to grieve. Mm-hmm. To even acknowledge a sense of loss is something that oftentimes is part of that disconnect that prohibits healing from happening. And I think a lot of it goes back to the sense that we're, we're so used to being on the stage performing to get through in life because, after all, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I pastor a church. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I wasn't raised like that. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And yet those feelings are real, and the loss is real, and yet it's almost as if a parent or a loved one passes away. We do no funeral no memorial service. Mm-hmm. We don't post a notice in the newspaper. We don't have a grave to go and put flowers at. There's never any sense of acknowledgement. Right. And lacking acknowledgement, there's no way that you can ever get a sense of closure about that. Right. So is it true with trauma as well that there's just this huge disconnect? Yes. Because sometimes the grief of the lost innocence of childhood or, or whatever it might be is just unacknowledged. And there's so many facets and layers to that. I mean, the yeah. book gives you opportun- gives the reader opportunity to journal about some of those things. But even like, um, just I'll just bring this up because there are so many women that I know who struggle with this. But for instance, um, women who've had a, a sexual assault or, or multiple sexual assaults, whether they be same sex or, or the opposite sex or whatever, um, that will affect your marriage. That will definitely affect your marriage and intimacy. But yet it's I've never heard it addressed from the pulpit. I've never heard any pastor preach about it. Even even in churches where I've been where they talk about um, intimacy and marriage and sex and marriage. I've never really heard that issue talked about. And yet yet 25 percent of women will experience a sexual assault at some point in their life. So it, it there is a loss there. That is going to affect women just in that in that sense, and in so many other senses. Let's say your parents were incarcerated. Um, there are going to be things that you're going to. Lo- who's coming to your concerts? Who's going to your baseball games? You know, who's teaching you certain things? You know, um, there are layers of loss that are there. Who, uh, were your siblings separated? Were they together? Um, and and those some of those things you just said, if they're happening to you, you as a kid, you that you feel double failure, double everything. If you if you're torn away from your family, then you're torn away from your siblings, then you're put in a place that, you know, it's called something like the home for unwanted children. What a great name, huh? <laughs> you know, then you're just like you have more stuff. You know, you're you're responsible for the failure of your family, and you know. Even if you're only six. Well, not only does this paint that oblique picture in terms of being able to address your past, your history, but makes your future look pretty bleak too, doesn't it? I mean, in other words, if you come through that kind of environment, 
you've never seen a healthy marriage modeled. You right. don't know right. what it looks like right, right. for dad to come home and mom to say, honey, I miss you. Give me a big right. kiss. Dinner's yeah. waiting. The kids are here. You've never seen that. Now you move on and you eventually right. get married because that's what adults do. Yes. But you don't know what a healthy relationship looks like because there never was one in your past. And so, therefore, there'll never be one in your future either because you don't know how to behave. That's right. right. You know what's and, modeled it. And just in... Just in the health realm, I just want to touch on this because so many people don't know. Kaiser Permanente did a, a study on adverse childhood effects, and they they laid out ten different adverse childhood experiences that you could have when you're young, like uh, subs, if there was substance abuse in the home, if there was a parental separation or divorce, mental illness, uh, uh, if the mother was beaten or, or abused, there was criminal behavior in the home or psychological abuse, physical abuse, emotional neglect or physical neglect. So those are kind of the 10 categories. And then they developed a scale and they did a longitudinal study over a period of many, 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 many years. And they said, basically, if you experience four of those in your lifetime, 25 years off your life equates to 25 years off wow. your life. Just I know the sheer stress. Just the sheer stress. And what it does to your immune system, what it does to um, it, it, what the, where it puts you in terms of risk of heart, heart disease, um, stroke, diabetes, every other thing. So I know many, many people who fall into the categories here of of. All ten mm-hmm. or nine, multiple times. You know, I might, I myself have just experienced a few of these, but I've experienced them multiple times. Um, so just the, just the physical effects of what is happening, and we we wanted to write the book because a lot of people don't know why they feel a certain way or why they can't get out of the cycle. Um, one of the words that Wanda used was stuck. She felt mm-hmm. stuck. And um, when we talk about this, wherever we are in churches, people are almost standing up and going, I never knew, I never knew. And (laughs) this will give resources in the back just about PTSD, but it gives hope about the fact that you can be healed and comfort from God. God. Comfort (laughs) from God. (laughs) And I would suspect that many eavesdropping on this conversation right now are also having that aha moment mm-hmm. yes. yep. with a spouse or, or a, a loved child. one well, or a child. We have spoken in places, many conferences where literally parents are standing up. She said that on purpose because standing up in the middle of a speaking and crying saying, thank you. Thank you. Finally, for the first time. And, you know, that happened a they few times. The lights the go on. It's awesome when the lights go on. You know, your, 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 your husband is cranky, seems to get angry over the most yes. minuscule Rage. things. Mm-hmm. Dinner is five minutes late. The potatoes were not hot enough, you know? Yep, that's true. And flies into this rage and, okay, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. There's an overreaction here. What is going on? Right. And neither you nor your spouse understand the impact of events that have happened so far back that has now built up and built up and it's layer upon layer of anger and resentment and And mistrust if i can mention there's also we've we know these people actually personally and there are many more again we've run into people in conferences that have said oh my goodness that happened to me or my son or whatever medical trauma pre-birth 
pre-verbal medical trauma. Uh, over 30 years ago, when um, babies would have surgery, 35 years ago, 40, they, doctors, for some reason, did not believe babies could feel pain. So guess what? Babies had surgery without anesthetic back then. So we know someone that had had been removed from his mother at birth and flown to a hospital and had, um, a, what is it called? A, a, an esophageal fistula. So something here, he had to have multiple surgeries over, like in a few days time. Bless his little heart, all that without anesthesia. Didn't know any of this. Did, no, no one had a clue. So years later, he's 20 years old. He's never been able to, to keep himself together. His parents and the rest, his other siblings are perfectly fine. Wonderful Christian home. This kid never, he just could not ever cope. He'd been diagnosed with ADHD and every other thing that you could be diagnosed with as a child, you know, because of performance totally issues. Totally non-social. He ended up as a young man, 21, 20 years old, as a shepherd at a monastery because they thought, well, maybe he could handle the sheep, you know. Couldn't. Whatever happened, he didn't it didn't help him there. The monastery actually said, you got to take your son when he's very sick. They ended up saying, we don't know what's wrong with him. It took him to this place that I went. That's how we found out about it. And which is not, it's not even in existence anymore uh, as a clinic, so we're not trying to push the clinic. Um, but he went in, they just started talking to him about just everything, you know. Do you remember anything from your birth? They go back and they talk to him about his, his trauma, not even knowing anything about, they certainly didn't know, the mother and the son, that it was going to be something like, you know. But he started to identify and familiar things about the surgeries and the feelings and you know what in five days this man was set free from a lifetime of craziness it was his story that prompted me um to recommend the treatment center that wanda went to which i've got to tell you on day three i there was a whole new person who walked out of that that place it was phenomenal the changes that i saw but um the the treatment that that treatment center offered is still available and now they're tra- doing online training for therapists and also you can go online and just as a person a lay person it's very right brain oriented a lot of writing a lot of art a lot of um you know accessing the right brain and getting it hooked back up with the left side and that's and, not um, something that you necessarily need to go to a clinic for you can do that yourself yeah there are a lot of things I, do we have to give ourselves permission though to understand that it takes time to unwind yes, this absolutely big ball it's of a ball of yarn yep <laughs> yes that we have gone through this yeah. years yes. ago that we have been coping with it in the only way that we knew how yep. maybe we didn't yes. even realize that we were coping with it we Most were just trying to yeah survive and now to come back out of it this is not as if and i and i say this because i'm going to get in trouble with some listeners here but why not <laughs> people say well i but i went to church and i and i prayed and i accepted people jesus and i read the bible and when people pray from the pastor came and anointed me with oil and right. why am i still feeling like this and we feel as if somehow we're looking for a spiritual the answer one quick flip a switch answer right that fails to recognize the cumulative impact right. of the years of the trauma itself, of the coping mechanisms yes. that have failed us. Yes, of an adrenal system that got totally destroyed and is now, it's the adrenal system is... I don't have one. So destroyed, yeah, that it affects every really? area of the body. 
you know. Let's pause for a moment. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Some closing comments. Shelly Beach, Wanda Sanchez, Love Letters from the Edge, information about the book at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. With me today in studio, the executive producer of Lifeline, Wanda Sanchez. She and her co-author, Shelley Beach. A new book out called Love Letters from the Edge, Meditations for Those Struggling with Brokenness, Trauma, and the Pain of Life. Newly released by Kriegel Publications. You can get more information about the book online at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. The big question for many, who at a level know, I have problems with relationships. I feel trapped sometimes. There are days that when night comes, I'm terrified. For other people, when day comes, they're terrified. Mm -hmm. I know there's something going on here. And I've tried the self-talk, and much of it is all negative and reinforcement of all the lies. Where do I start? The big question for everybody who in the course of our conversation here today has said, aha, uh-huh, that's me you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's my husband you're talking about. You just described my daughter. Mm-hmm. How do we start this process of healing? Well, first of all, let me just say that there is the most I don't know if you've looked at it, the most amazing back section of this book. Lots of resources. Lots of resources. One that addresses that question in particular, where do I start? We wanted this book to be a resource for people who just don't know what to do and where to go. So we included resources in the back, um, places that treat trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, um, all kinds of questions about the basics of PTSD and trauma, and what do I do, where do I start, um, I think the most important thing is just to sit down and, and kind of inventory your life. Have you experienced those big T traumas in your life? And have you seen some of the symptoms? And Wanda, just talk about and, some of the symptoms of PTSD. And, well, and also, I was going to add to that, uh, have a friend that you trust. Yes. Someone that you trust, because it's not going to be fun or easy uh, doing it all by yourself. And it's not even actually recommended. You can, but... It's the whole thing is to try and, you know, not do the same things you've always done, which is mostly probably be solitary and, you know. Hey, so. let me jump in here and get in trouble again. <laughs> um, <laughs> that doesn't always necessarily mean running to your pastor. Oh, no, no, no. And I say that with all the love in my heart. Yes, absolutely. Most pastors are ill-equipped. Yes. For any of this. Sadly, yes, that's true. Sometimes right. pastor will say, well, let's just pray right. about it. Absolutely. And we'll bring it up in prayer at church yeah. on Sunday right. that... <laughs> re-traumatizes the individual. Right, so right. I, I'm not saying it, right. if your church has facilities, right. people, right. ministries that specifically deal and speak to this, right. yay! Absolutely. Yes. And if they not, if they don't, just be cautious. Right. Be cautious. And there are there is help out there. There is help out there. And we again, we give a lot of that in the book. Yes. What was that? What question was I? Well, I just wanted to comment on the fact that I'm a di- diabetic. I also have multiple sclerosis and I go to specialists in multiple sclerosis and diabetes. I've had brain surgery. I had a doctor who was a specialist and neurosurgeon who did my brain surgery. And my um my mental health is an area that deals with my brain and my brain um, responds based on chemicals 
and electrical responses, and and there's a biochemistry element there that is part of PTSD and trauma and mental health. And so I have utmost respect for my pastor, and I've talked to him about all kinds of issues, including this. But when it comes to treatment, I need to go to someone who understands my brain just the way my medical specialists understand the rest of my organs in my body. Yeah, people seem to forget that, you know, it's a muscle, you know, and it's just like if I hurt any other muscle, it's it's not any different than being treated by that doctor for that muscle. So it's a very are, complex and, organ. And, and you mentioned here from the very get-go, there are intellectual aspects of this. There yes. are emotional aspects yes. of this. There are definitely spiritual, um, aspects. spiritual aspects of this, Absolutely. to be sure. There's also um, physiological aspects right. of this that gets into, as you said before, the mm-hmm. endorphins that come from the body's attempt to try to deal with the trauma in the moment Absolutely. and all of that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, we've moved from talking to our priest or our pastor to talking to our medical doctor. Right. And, and the other thing I want to mention about the book, so that people are not scared off, this is not a clinical book in the sense that you're thinking, oh my God, 500 no, pages, and it's written by a <laughs> professor, and this is very <laughs> difficult. This book is very approachable, and it's written in bite-sized chunks yep. mm-hmm. so that you can come to it. Don't feel like you've you got to write... 50 pages to get through the first chapter. No, no, no. You can work through this page by page, segment by segment. And if you say, gee, you know, I have all these questions. It's not just about finding the answers, but I have all these questions, and I don't know where to begin. I don't know what questions to ask. The book helps you do that, too. That's true. And the book also, I think most importantly, helps you get reengaged with the truth-telling, Wanda, that you were talking about earlier. And directly with the one who is capable of doing the most about it, Absolutely. from whom we are typically the most disconnected, right. and that is God himself. Absolutely. Yes. And if you say, as sometimes people that have gone through traumatic experiences do, is that I am so frustrated here. You say, pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't mm-hmm. know where to begin. Right. 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 This book can help you reignite your prayer life, that communication with God in very honest, truth-telling ways. Right. And Wanda, you said it earlier, we deny it all the time, but God's got big shoulders. He can handle he it all. Can, absolutely. And that was my, again, another thing that held me back from just tell, just telling the truth, you know. And when I was able just to say it out loud and, and how I felt about it, when they say truth will set you free, they are not kidding. Mm. For the I had never experienced that before. But that's when I started to sleep through the night, and I didn't even know that. I didn't see the results as quickly as she did. People often think that if they, if, they, if they speak this out loud, they're going to relive the trauma, and therefore they're making things worse by speaking the truth. In reality, continuing with the lie or continuing mm-hmm. to stuff it down, mm-hmm. that's what's creating remember, the problem. You don't have to speak the trauma. You have to speak the truth. You mm-hmm. never have to talk about the trauma ever again to recover from it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with talking about it, and that's why a lot of people go through life spending 25 years in traditional therapy, mm-hmm. and then 10 days, and then 10 days in a setting of not really having to talk or cry or forgive. This has nothing to do with any of that. It's just about brain work, engaging the left and the right side of the brain. That allows me then to go, oh, God, you're not that big, mean, ugly. That It kind of clears my vision. Mm-hmm. One thing that you we know? haven't touched on that, that I want to have you both address 
The central focus of the Christian message, of course, is forgiveness, reconciliation with God. And we see so much talked about in Scripture about God forgiving us, the work of Christ on the cross, that God might forgive us, that we should not carry aught against another, but we should forgive. I've looked, I don't see any passages that teach me how to forgive myself. And if I've spent a lifetime blaming myself and accepting the lies, wow, how do I do that? How do I forgive myself? Well, there's silence here, so I'll I'm fill still it. Trying to learn that one, but. I'll fill it. I think. Well, I think it's a lifetime job. Yeah. I think that because I think that's the one greatest way that Satan wants to defeat us and beat us up. Um, and so, every day, my ability to forgive myself rests in the fact that I trust that I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. And what he sees me to be, because I I see imperfection, I see that I fail, but I don't have to strive. I just have to every day give up, get, I get up to, to, to glorify God that day. And, um, I have to believe that I am, I am that, that perfect daughter, that, that beautiful daughter of Christ because Jesus died for me and I'm not going to diminish what he did by wasting my time. You know, living in shame or with guilt. And And what a relief it can be to finally come to that point, to be able to rest in that point, saying, you know, I've spent an entire lifetime compensating by trying to be perfect, trying to not make mistakes. And yet when I make them, then I beat myself up even more because that that compensatory methodology is not working suddenly Mm -hmm. again. And to realize, guess what? And God sees you in all your imperfection, too. And he has provided a means by which you get to get off the hook. Yeah. Yep. You're no That's longer right. responsible. And I think maybe as we, to maybe in part answer my own question, we begin to understand more about forgiving ourselves as we draw closer to beginning to understand God's desire and willingness mm-hmm. to forgive us. It's not yes. just that through Christ we can have forgiveness as an experience. But that the whole purpose of Christ's death on the cross was to have that available to us and experiencing that grace and being able to apply that grace of what he has shown toward us and say, wow, if he's let me off the hook, Mm -hmm. if he's forgiven me. Then it's got to be a lot easier job for me to do than I ever imagined. And and that's a particular place of of battle right there, too. Because once you you understand (laughs) that, you know, Satan, the blowhard, doesn't really have anything that he can hold over your head... He doesn't want you to get that message. Right, of course. You know, so so that's a hard place to get to. But once you understand that that's that the truth will set you free, mm-hmm. oh, that's glorious. That, that liberation yeah. is one that it, it's it's there's you never, not you never any stop other celebrating that, no. do you? No, yeah. you really don't. That's right. Nope. The yeah. book is a good place to start, and as Wanda has mentioned, there are tons of resources available inside of the book. There are also tons of resources available at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. That long journey begins with the first step, as all do. And so I hope in what you've heard today, either for yourself or for a loved one, that you or you can encourage them to take that first step on the road to 
healing and restoration and experience and wholeness. And if you've spent a lifetime convincing yourself you're not worthy, I think from what you've heard from both Shelley and Wanda today, the good news is, oh, yes, you absolutely are. Absolutely. Love Letters from the Edge, Meditations for Those Struggling with Brokenness, Trauma, and the Pain of Life. Again, more information about the book and many of the resources that we've discussed today, available on the web at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. I want to thank both of our guests for being with us today and uh, want to go produce a radio show. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Thanks, Craig. Thanks again. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You ever wonder what your kids are learning in school? Oh, I don't necessarily mean things such as the history of the country and how to read and write and things of that sort. All important to be sure. But what are the other things that they're learning in school? You know what I mean, Mom and Dad? The other things? School's in session, and some things are taking place that perhaps are going to shock parents. It is incumbent, I think, on all of us to understand, to to help bridge the so-called generation gap and know what our kids are learning, how they're feeling, and ultimately how they're being influenced by both their peers and even by the educators. With some insights to help us all wake up to the realities of what kids are learning both in and outside of school, Annie Brainer joins us. He's a teen expert, author of an expose on teen sex and dating, what's really going on and how to talk about it, published by Nav Press. And Andy, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. Parents frequently certainly will focus on things like, are you getting your homework done? What do your grades look like? Things of this sort. All important issues, to be sure. And yet it's what's not on the official curricula sometimes that we ought to most be worried about. Right. We... uh we, I spent uh, two years uh, researching this book uh, in the hallways of the high schools across America and and actually came up with some pretty alarming uh, <laughs> results. Uh, I found that uh, there's a there's a there's an undercurrent of sexuality happening in our in our high schools today that is akin to the sexual revolution of the 60s but it's all being done kind of under the radar and so I would encourage parents uh, just like you said there's a lot of things we can see that we expect kids to learn from school but it's the relationships that they're having uh, in the hallways of the high school when school's over on on weekends that that we sh- that we should really be concerned about all right here's a fact check uh, reaching out to some of the FAQ that parents ought to be asking of their teens or at least aware of uh, let's begin with the first point that you address and that is that there is significantly more sexual activity going on than most parents are aware of in fact according to a CDC study half of high school students have had sexual intercourse and 14%, I mean, you know, it's not far from being one out of every five, have had relations, physical relations with four or more partners and we're talking about kids still in high school? Right. I was in a school, um, and I won't mention the name of the school, but I was—I have a chance to go into some of these schools and, and do assemblies and talk to students about, you know, faith and, and what they're really thinking about faith and what they're thinking about life. And 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 I would—I uh, I commonly get a group of kids together just to ask about their dating relationships. And I and I just say, look, bottom line, you're not going to see me again in three days, so you know you can be honest with me, and I'm not going to go tell your parents what's going on. But tell me what's going on in the dating relationship in this high school. 
and as we're sitting around the table, uh, one of the one of the guys hop, popped piped in, and he he said, uh, "Andy, here at our school, it's just like we we just hook up with each other, you know, every day." And so, and, and hook up has a different meaning than maybe some parents might think that it is. They have a they have a, a location that they'll go to. And they'll literally engage in physical activity, and and when it's over, it's just kind of like they just kind of went and played basketball in the backyard. They <clears throat> they come back to school and they say, you know, they they give each other high fives and wasn't that fun last night, and and then the next night they do the same thing over and again. And so each night we have teenagers that are out just hooking up with each other. And 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 even worse, so not only is any sense of impropriety gone or shame or guilt uh, apparently just completely uh, cast aside, but then isn't it? so that at certain levels we see, Andy, the influence of so-called modern-day social media uh, that is helping exacerbate all of this? Because now, you know, not only are the kids are hooking up, and then they're bragging about it on Facebook or, or texting each other, if not with the gory details, even with photographs. Oh, with the gory details and photographs, Greg. Wow. It's, it's unbelievable. In fact, I'll get I'll get emails from parents that, that sneak on their kid's computer, and they'll download the latest Skype conversation that they're having, and it would, I mean, it just makes you blush to think about the language that kids are using and the and the uh, just the explicitness of what's going on. So we've gone from being concerned about our kids potentially being exposed to pornography in the seedy parts of town to now actually creating the pornography. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> And most parents, I mean, as much as you talk to teens, you also talk to their parents. What's the reaction? I mean, you're speaking upwards of, of 80,000, 100,000 teens every year. You have a lot of impact and, and opportunity to talk to the parents. When you when you share some of these details, much as we are here this afternoon, what's the reaction? I find that, that there's a... There's a there's a lot of parents who would would come and they'd say, obviously they'd be in the camp. They say, oh, that's not my kid. My kid would never do that. My kid would never be involved in that. Uh, and then you have some parents that that say, okay, I see the issue. I see what you're doing now. What do you, what can we do to encourage our kids? And especially in the Christian communities, when I go in and start talking about dating and relationships, um, there are some honest parents that go, hey, look. Um, we need help. Uh, we need we need folks that can bridge the gap between the teen relationship and the parent relationship. Help us coach our kids. And so you, you know you kind of get both sides of the spectrum. But but I tend to focus on the ones that are going. All right, we we get it. We know our kids are not perfect. We know our kids could be involved in this. Teach me how to coach my kid to have a successful relationship in high school. A lot of parents feel overwhelmed by this, a sense of perhaps being out of control because of the number of counter-influences to what they're trying to teach their kids. I mean, I would assume parenting today is as it was when I was a kid, that most parents want to be able to set up an atmosphere in the household that that establishes and then helps to encourage uh, certain standards and and a standard for living, a moral code, et cetera, et cetera. Mine happened to, to, to come out of the church, but, you know, somehow some sort of a, a decent code of behavior that parents are not only having to compete with with um, the counterculture that is out there that's running contrarian to what they're trying to teach their kids and values in the home or or in church and then on top of all of this i bet there's a huge frustration because just parents feel as if there's little they can do right but i think um it's easy sometimes for parents to just defer to all the other influences, but the research has shown us now when you ask kids about the most influential people in their life, in other words, what are the most what are the most um, prominent voices in your life today? The research that's come out say parents still hold the number one spot in developing a worldview of that teenager, 
And, and to most parents, I can say, you know, how many times have we been driving down the road with our kids in the back seat, and we say something, uh, you know, our kids are acting up or something, and we say, be quiet, stop touching each other, and all of a sudden this memory of you being in that car kind of comes through, and you remember your mom or your dad saying those things, all to point to uh, the things that we learn about parenting often come from our parents. And so I often encourage parents to think about if you have the number one influence in your child's life, and secondly is friendships, peer relationships, and then third, the research comes out and says that the media holds the third position. So, so if you've still got the number one spot, then it's time for parents to start really parenting. It start, it's time for parents to really think about, you know, when is my kid on that computer and who are they talking to on that computer and who are they texting you know when they're at the dinner table and 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 start taking control and and be a parent in your house my goodness you're still mom and you're still dad and you have a responsibility to to rise up and raise your kids if you've just joined the conversation, Andy Branner with us tonight, teen expert, author of an expose on teen sex and dating, what's really going on, and how to talk about it. We'll come back to more of the insights and our conversation tonight. If you want to join us with a comment or a question, join in. Toll-free number is 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's 888-367-5329. A timeout. Back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Andy Branner with me tonight, guest expert on teens, author of a new book called An Expose on Teen Sex and Dating, What's Really Going On and How to Talk About It. You know, one of the other big uh, shockers here, I think, for a lot of parents is the amount of alcohol and drug abuse going on. Uh, there was a Department of Health and Human Services substance abuse report that came out that found that order over a quarter of teens, 25%, have engaged in uh, alcohol abuse under the age of 21, and 17% have gotten engaged in so-called binge drinking. There are folks listening to this program right now, Andy, who have never binged drank in their life, let alone doing it before the age of 18. Yeah, yeah. The uh, those are the old those are the old teenage adages, right? If we can only get them to stop drinking and stop smoking weed and stop having sex, then then everything will be fine. But but what we found is that those are just merely a veneer. All those issues, those classic teenage issues, are just uh, those are the, the surface issues of something deeper going on. And what we find those things to be true out here, we've got a little place called Kivu out in Colorado. We have over a thousand students every summer that come out here to do adventures in. Colorado and 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 during that time we get a chance to really live life with students. And so what we find is that most students that are that are just trying to make their journey through high school are struggling with significance. And and it might not just be a teen issue, it could be a, I mean it's probably just all of us, right? We all want to feel valuable, we all want to feel significant. We all want to feel like we've got somebody that'll listen to us. And 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 the more that I find kids that are engaged in activities as you mentioned, the more I find somebody crying out going who in this world is going to value me? Mm. Who's going to be with me? And I, and I would say, and I say this every time I get in front of an audience, the number one issue in the teenage world today is not drinking, it's not sex, it's not drugs. The number one issue is loneliness. They're walking through life and they just feel all alone. 
You know, and the amazing thing to that message is that's kind of the description of the the human condition overall, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, that's it. And I think I find the more that I can, when I bend down to look a student in the eye, and I and I give them the value that they deserve as being human, all of a sudden their eyes light up and they think, "Wow, somebody, somebody cares for me." And if they can do that at home, if a mom and a dad can do the parenting thing in a way that they really invest time in the things that teenagers like to do and they really focus on valuing their students. Sure, there's disciplinary things. Surely there's correction things. Surely there are issues where we have to get in and mentor and coach. But when I place value in my teenager, he longs to be with me. He wants to be with people that find him valuable. And it goes back to the old age old adage that oftentimes the best thing that you can do to sort of inoculate your kids against all that the world has to offer out there is just to spend some time with them. And if you use the excuse, oh, but I'm putting in 60 hour work weeks and earn enough money so we can take the big vacations and live in the bigger house. I'm doing it all for my kids. In the end, you're going to find out that uh, uh, the opposite effect of what you were hoping for it comes to fruition. That's it. And I tell kids, I tell parents a lot, you know, when my kids got to the age where they could they could do Legos and they started stacking Legos, uh, they would sit in the living room for hours just stacking these things and making these different concoctions of Lego buildings and stuff. And I got to tell you, Craig, I hate Legos. I just don't think that way. I have no patience. I don't, I don't, I can't put the six block with the four block with the two block. But it was the times that I sat in the living room and said, you know what? Even though I don't like doing this, I know you love it. And to, to spend time with you, I'm going to do the thing that you like to do. Those were the relationships where, where relationships started being made. That's when they started seeing, hey, dad really cares about us because he wants to spend time doing what we want to do. So I encourage parents all, all the time, you know, if you can find that thing, if it's video games, don't, don't just turn the, the Xbox off. Maybe sit down with your kid and say, hey, teach me how to do this. I'd love to do this with you. And get into their world. And once you get into their world, then these conversations about drinking and drugs and sex and relationships at school and academics and all the different things that they're involved in start just bubbling forth without you even really having to ask any real hard questions. You're not suggesting to try to be a peer or a friend. I mean, you can be a friend to your kids, but you know, your, your kids will have plenty of friends in their lifetime. They're only going to have one mother and one father. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think the friendship thing is 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 a different term maybe than I want to invest my time where you find time, and and I'm going to show value to you the way that you need to feel valued. And and if we can do that, man, it's I'm telling you, it changes the way parents and teenagers interact together. Let's grab a couple of calls here. We're going to go to Lori in San Jose. Lori, come on in with your comment or question for my guest tonight, Andy Brenner. Hi, um, I. Um have taught high school and different age group students and um, I found that uh, you know sex is a big problem as far as you know student student interactions becoming more casual but does your book address um, uh, you know faculty uh, becoming involved in promoting sexuality, like uh, what Governor Brown did uh, and the legislature did as far as um, SD. I think it's SB forty eight. Forty eight, yeah, and you know, and 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 even the bigger equation there, Lori, is the fact that we've seen 
so much of almost substitute parenting going on in the classroom. And, and some of it, I think, to be fair, Andy, a few parents kind of fell on their swords, didn't do their job. And then some, I think, well-meaning but over-enthusiastic folks at the the educational level said, well, look, if the parents are not going to teach their kids right from wrong and, and uh, sex education, we'll take care of that for them. The problem is, you know, fast forward 40 years after so-called sex education made its way into the classroom, now all of a sudden it's moved from, you know, just good health information to suddenly uh, promoting an agenda. Andy? Right. So the book, to, to speak to your question directly, Lori, the book does not address the public school's responsibility or not responsibility. So I'll speak just off the cuff in, in, in the research that I found. It speaks more to what Craig was talking about. We see administrators all over the country who are standing up saying we need sex education in the classroom, and we find parents that are trying to opt out of those things in, in a way that they say, hey, it's our responsibility, we're going to teach them. Well, let me just give you a little uh, a little story. We had a guy that was sending his kid out to our place here in Colorado, and he said, are you guys going to teach sexuality out there? And I said, well, yeah, we have a whole course on dating and sexuality as it relates to the Christian worldview, and what, what, is, it, what is God's intention for us in developing a relationship? Well, the man was well-intentioned on the other end of the phone, and he said, he said, well, I'd like my daughter to opt out of that class. And I said, well, that's great, because we don't want to do anything that offends parents. We want to make sure we're locking arms with parents. We want to do what you want to do. I said, could you tell me a little bit, like, why? Why don't you want her in that class? And he said, well, we're going we're gonna to teach her those things at home, and we just want to reserve that conversation. To which I responded, incredible. That's incredible. That's a great idea. Thanks for being good parents. And then I said, if you don't mind, might I ask, how old is your daughter when she's coming out here? I'd just like to know, you know, where she's going to fit in, where she's going to play, how we can identify her. He said, well, she's 15 years old. <laughs> to that I said, brother, I don't mean to step on your toes, but that ship has already sailed. Yeah, you're, 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 you're going to have the conversation? Yeah, well, you should have been thinking about that probably 15, probably, you know, eight years ago. Our research shows that the average first sexual experience happens at 12 years old. Yep. There you go. And that that is that is the stark reality that I think a lot of parents need to deal with. You know, even as we think about how we were parented, Andy, and wish to apply some of those lessons to how we in turn become parents and parent our own kids, we got to realize this clock is moving faster than any of us realize. It's it's fast, and that that statistic of twelve years old means that fifty percent of them parents are younger than twelve. And so we've got to, if we're going to stand up and take the the mantle of teaching our kids about sexuality, then we've got to start those conversations, as awkward as they might seem, earlier and earlier. Some good insights. If they want to get copies of the book, Andy, it's available, I would imagine, through your website as well as Amazon.com. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amazon.com, uh, AndyBrainer.com is my website, or you can just flip over to NavPress.com, uh, and you can go down to the teenage section, and it's highlighted there. All right. An expose on teen sex and dating. What's really going on and how to talk about it? Information again on Andy's website at AndyBrainer, A-N-D-Y-B-R-A-N-E-R.com. Andy, thanks for the time and the insight. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. 
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.